Bob Stoops ruined my childhood. It's the Inside OU Podcast on the Franchise Podcast Network. If you listen to this OU Compliance, I don't endorse that last message. With Brady Trantham and Keegan Renault. Mike Stoops should be put on trial for war crimes. So I was looking at... God, we're recording now. I know. So I was looking at one of our... uh, Looking at one of our reviews recently, we actually have a new review. And so, Keegan, I'm going to ask you very politely, you need to stop f***ing cussing on this podcast. (laughs) How old do you think that person is? It's probably somebody that I know. Somebody that I know. Wow, so somebody that you know would give us a one-star review? Or it's, you know, or it's somebody who's older who doesn't want to hear, you know, f***s and shits on a podcast. But, you know, when those 20-year-olds fumble the ball on Saturdays, oh, oh. Uh-oh, the curse word's flying. What is so, does this guy just mute the TV, you think, whenever he hears an NBA player drop an F-bomb on the hot mic under the basket? I know, just the, the children, you've got to think about them. You've got to think about the children. They're the future, especially with the virus out there. Mm-hmm. Times are dark. Keegan, I don't know what to talk about today. What are we going to talk like? Is there, anything, is, is there anything to talk about? By the way, it's Keegan Renault from USA Today, Soonerswire.com. Uh, they just hired somebody new who looks like he is 13 years old, but I'm sure he'll do a wonderful job. But yeah, Keegan Renault here, as always, and with me, Brady Trantham, 107.7, the franchise. Uh, but yeah, Keegan, what are, we, what are we here to talk about? Did anything happen? And I don't really know because I am very hungover from July 4. I can't, I can't speak English. I can barely speak the language. Well, one of us had to work last night. Oh, God. Let me remind you that in any other year where there isn't a a pandemic going on, I would have been working last night, too. I've been working for the last four days straight. And tonight, millionaires would be switching teams in the NBA in a normal year. I have you. I'll have you know. You know. Yeah. Hey, Oklahoma got a commit last night. Did you hear? Yeah, they got McCutcheon. Yeah. Yay. They, They got a cornerback. How tall is he? Keegan, tell me. Six foot one, six two. That, okay, wait a minute. Kind of hesitated because we all know how high school measurements can be bullshit sometimes. So when you say 6'1", maybe 6'2", that tells me that he's maybe 5'11", 6 feet tall. <laughs> but still, that's... No, this is, this is the guy that's, that is a legit 6'1", probably could be 6'2". If so I Mike, had Stoop, to- Mike Stoops look at this kid and say, you, you know what? You're too tall, son. You can't do it. You can't play here at the University of Oklahoma. You got to be small. Can't cover the spread if you're taller than six foot. Yeah, um, we we, we get five-star hearts here. Thank you very much. Oh, hey, have you heard about that Caleb Williams guy? Yeah, he plays for Gonzaga, that basketball If not, you can go to Soonerswire.com and read a great feature story on him. Yes, Oklahoma finally got the guy that we've known has been committed (laughs) to OU for the last, what, three months? Three three to four months? It's been two months for me um, in terms of being able to know and confirm that information. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, he's been in the fold for, a lo- for quite a while. And it, I thought it was pretty interesting. I, I think it was in a Rivals.com story um, that Caleb said he hadn't told Lincoln Riley officially um, until the morning yesterday. So he FaceTimed him and, and kind of told him, hey, uh, I'm in, I'm in. And maybe, honestly, and I know where this is already getting sidetracked from talking about Caleb in general, but... Maybe that's why we didn't see the domino effect early on after Clayton Smith and Mario Williams committed because maybe he wasn't actually a 100% committed to Oklahoma. Does that make sense? He hasn't told me. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's, especially when you're concerning, you know, 18, 19 year old kids, 
who, you know, they can make that, they can make up their, they're adults, you know, like they're informed. They, they know what they're doing. Like when you're brought up, when you're that type of athlete, you're well, you're mature well beyond your years when we're talking about picking a school that you're going to, that you're wanting to play at just because you've been in the process, you've been around a ton of people for at least a year at the very least, if you're Caleb Williams. But um, I mean, at the same time, kids do have a track record of uh, changing their minds mm-hmm. on, you know, on a whim. So yeah, maybe if you're another player out there that wants to play with Caleb Williams, but he hasn't been hundred percent committable, at least to you. Like if you're just in a text conversation with the kid, like, so where are you going to go? And he's just like, well, I don't know, man. You know, I, I kind of like Lincoln Ride, but I don't know. You're not going to probably go out there hundred percent all the way yourself. You, you know, the domino thing, I'll just say this. I was kind of shocked like you, like it didn't happen. But at the same time, I feel like a lot of these kids, okay, Caleb had his day. I want to have my day too, but I'm going to end up following him. So Mm -hmm. it might, it may not be in a 24 hour span. It might be in a week span or a week and a half span. I I would assume unless things have changed. Right. And I think whenever you talk about that situation in general, Caleb may have been more so recruiting people to join him. Now, granted, the direction was clearly Oklahoma um, whenever you talk about Mario Williams and Clayton Smith and all the other recruits that responded um, in terms of Caleb's commitment last night. So I I think Caleb, though, um, very – man, when you talk about getting to know – and I know this is kind of in the nuts and bolts of telling a story here, Brady – and I, I think that what was so much fun about getting to know about Caleb Williams and getting to know his story was not even about the football player. It wasn't about the things he does for his community. It's the fact that this kid is running around on a football field. He's walking to class. He's walking to practice. He's working out. He's in an office with his athletic director. And this dude is just smiling and having a good time. He just has a joyous personality to him that I think uh, is going to relate a lot to Oklahoma fans. Take it as a more outgoing Kyler Murray. That's the kind of person that Caleb Williams is. And I think whenever you talk about fitting the spotlight and the role of being the starting quarterback at Oklahoma, I don't know a guy that fits honestly better other than Baker Mayfield. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you say think of a – more outgoing Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray was just not outgoing at all. <laughs> I, I mean, Kyler, Kyler was at OU after I had graduated. Uh, I graduated right as Baker Mayfield kind of got there uh, in 2014. But I was still around Campus Corner because I was, you know, that's kind of, that's the world I knew in terms of like going out and having a social life. So I, I knew a lot about Baker Mayfield off the field. Um, once Kyler got there and he was QB1, that was a little, a little too far removed from me. But I had friends that were still at OU or still going around ha- having fun with college kids. And they were like, yeah, Kyler doesn't do anything. He just stays home. You know, g- goes practice, film, wait, works out, goes home. It's like, okay, well, that kind of, that kind of matches with his on-the-field personality when he's talking to the media. It's like, okay, I, I, can, I can agree with that or I can believe that. But um, mm-hmm. the thing I wanted to ask you, Keegan, it's not something that's really been discussed, and it's just because we're not going to know until – at the very least a year from now if we've had football and we'll get to that topic a little bit later but I put this I put I tweeted this out 
last night kind of as a joke, uh, but just a gift tweet of like Spencer Rattler be like, hey guys, I'm still here or whatever. Um, I, I'm le- really looking forward to that dynamic because this is what's going to happen with Lincoln Riley and OU as long as Lincoln Riley is the head coach and is still churning out uh, high-level quarterback play and high-level offenses year in and year out. Um, they're going to be in on any top five high school quarterback coming out in any particular year, even if they have a five-star or two five-stars currently in school, just because, I mean, the whole, the whole thing is you go to OU for like a year or two at the very least, then you go to the NFL. That's the plan. So it's not like the olden days, Keegan, where you could potentially have a quarterback there for three, maybe even four years. I mean, Landry Jones had the, had the job for four years. So uh, those days are kind of long gone with Lincoln Riley's quarterbacks, but I'm just wondering how this dynamic of Caleb Williams and Spencer Rattler works out. And we kind of talked about it on the last podcast, Keegan, you, you kind of talked about how Spencer would probably be welcome to not just the challenge of having another cha- uh, talented quarterback in the room to maybe push him. But at the end of the day, like it's, it's a very, it's the most unique position in sports. You can't, having quarterback depth is good in theory, but it could potentially lead to some problems and you could end up having way too many good quarterbacks and then find yourself like, Oh gosh, they've all transferred out. Now I'm left with like Hayes McEachum or something. So (laughs) you just insert like backup, backup, backup quarterback from the past here. Um, I'm just really curious. What's up? Trevor Knight. Well, he wasn't like he started games. So uh, he, and then he started at A&M and he was good enough for them. But I'm just curious how this dynamic works out. And it's not really a question we can answer. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not even trying to sit here and say that it's going to be negative by any means. I'm just like, OU fans are excited for Caleb Williams. That's true. Spencer Rattler is going to be the quarterback the next time Oklahoma plays football more than likely. Right. And I think the first thing I want to say here is about the plan. I think – we have found the plan that as long as Lincoln Riley's the head coach at Oklahoma, um, it's going to be, um, it's going to be followed. And whenever you talk about Spencer in 2019, right, you got Bryce Young in the 2020 class who ends up being uh, the number one quarterback in the country. Oklahoma was pushing as hard as they could for Bryce Young until they told him no. And at that point, Oklahoma was like, okay, we're going to be here for you if you ever want to do this. But they were also okay with taking Chandler Morris. That's another thing we got to talk about after we're done talking about Rattler. Oh, yeah. um, And Caleb Williams. But the plan in general. So they land the number one quarterback in 2019. I sent a tweet out, and I'm patting myself on the back and spiking the football at the same time, that the 2021 quarterback was going to be the next one that was in line. So then you look at 2023. Who's going to be that guy? And But at the same time, though, Brady, a lot of like on the same thing that I'm saying is that there's a guy in the 2022 class named Quinn Ewers from, the, from South Lake Carroll in the DFW area that from talking to multiple people at this point, some directly with knowledge, some with secondhand information, that if it was up to him, from what I understand, that Oklahoma would be the landing spot for him. And this is going to be the yeah. number one quarterback in the 2022 recruiting class. So, the, But I, I wanted to talk about the plan in general because if, Oklahoma, if Quinn Ewers says no, Brady, maybe this is another Bryce Young situation to where they find another quarterback that's uh, in the 2022 class that's maybe not as talented or near the top of the bull pecking order across the country. 
and then they go after the number one quarterback in the 2023 class, whoever that is. Yeah. So I, I think that part of it to me is so intriguing because he's playing chess, not checkers. And it's almost like he's playing 3D chess and everybody else is playing checkers in that regard. Because if you talk about the plan in general, that means you got Spitzer Rattler for two years. He goes off to the NFL. Then you got Caleb Williams for two years, and then he goes off to the NFL. And then you just kind of keep this cycle of bringing quarterbacks in um, going. So back to the original point, though, with Spencer and Caleb Williams. Um, from getting to know Caleb, uh, I think in that regard, he is going to be welcomed to competition. I think he's going to be welcomed to maybe having to sit, maybe more so than Spencer was last season. Because this, the personalities of the two, Caleb is just a completely different um, animal, honestly, than what Spencer Rattler is. And probably, so I think, and probably, I'd probably just like to add, like probably because at the time Spencer committed to OU, Jalen Hurts going to OU was not on anybody's radar whatsoever. And then he'd already committed, and then Jalen Hurts to OU became a possibility. And then he actually got to OU. So it's just, it. He may, he may have, Spencer may have absolutely thought, yeah, I'm going to take the job day one once I step on campus. Oh, here comes Jalen Hurts. Well, there goes my, there goes my chance, you know, because I'm not mm-hmm. going to start over a fifth year transfer quarterback from the University of Alabama. Absolutely. And, and maybe that was helped. I think that ended up helping Spencer out quite a bit. And if yep. Caleb Lincoln Riley brings Caleb Williams in, and he, I, I know it's funny, but I hope we can catch him doing this next year, Brady. On the last, was it with Colin Cowherd, Lincoln Riley said, that it's going to be nice having a quarterback for two years. With Caleb Williams on campus next fall, or this spring, whichever it may be, is there going to be an open quarterback competition or what? Because he said it. I mean, and he hasn't gone back on really anything he said before in terms of a quarterback competition. So maybe there is none. Maybe Caleb Williams is accepting already he's going to be the backup quarterback in 2021, and that's it. But, yeah, I, I think with that dynamic with Spencer, I think the most interesting part, though, Brady, is that it's just two completely different personalities. And I think that's why if there is something that is a miss there, it's because they just maybe – they just don't get along. I don't see how anybody possibly, based on what I've heard about Caleb Williams, not get along with them. Yeah. But I, they're just two completely different personalities, but they're both alphas. So that, it's going to be an interesting dynamic to follow. Yeah, and look, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray are both alphas, and they, for all we can tell, and every time that they talk about one another, they just had nothing but great things to say about each other, and they had a great relationship. Kyler Murray kind of had the same thing that Spencer Rattler had, where Kyler Murray goes to OU – transfers from A&M and has the idea, well, Baker's going to be a senior in 2016. That means I'll be able to play 20 um, – or I'll, I'll play 2017, 2018, and then go to the NFL, hopefully. And then Baker got that extra year of eligibility, and it kind of forced Kyler, well, if you're the legitimate real deal, you're probably just going to be playing college football just for one year. Uh, same thing with Spencer Rattler before Jalen Hurts got here. It kind of ruined his plans, I guess. But, like, the, the chemistry between the two – Again, that's the thing that we're just not going to be able to answer right now. It's just, to me, it's just interesting. But before we get into a little bit more on Caleb Williams, Keegan, I wanted you to kind of pivot, go back into your brain in terms of Spencer Rattler, because unfortunately, as we all know, we don't have a spring game that we've been able to watch him uh, this season because, of course, that was canceled. Um, We were robbed of that. But um, while OU fans are excited for Caleb Williams and deservingly so, Let's just entertain the thought that football is played either this fall or 
the following spring for the 2020 season, if that makes sense. I mean, what do what does OU's offense have in Spencer Rattler? Like, let's try to get away from Caleb Williams just for a second because we've watched, we've all watched highlight reels of him. We've like read stories about what type of player he is. But what, why should OU fans be excited for Caleb, but then also probably even more excited that Spencer Rattler is going to be the quarterback day one? Because the deep ball is back, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that is why. Because this is a guy that has as good of arm talent as either Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray. This is a guy that exudes, just absolutely oozes confidence out um, whenever he plays. There's not a throw he doesn't think he can't make. There's not a play he doesn't think he can't make. This is a guy that thinks, honestly, um, that he's the best He's the best thing since sliced bread. And I think that fits Oklahoma's fan base perfectly. Because because it's a guy that they're going to be able to rally around. Now, is this a guy that I think may get phased by some something bad going? There's something going wrong in a game. I, I do, but I also think his talent overcomes that. I, he he's the best passer. I wish I could have been at the Elite Eleven this year, um, but in the three years I've gotten to see um, the opening, that I have not seen a guy nearly as close um, to Spencer in terms of his arm talent. It's, it's special, and it's going to fit everything Lincoln Riley wants in an offense. Uh, but I think there is the, the thing that is a holdup here, and this isn't a Spencer Rattler deal, that Oklahoma's wide receiver depth, I think, is going to hinder showcasing that early on until Trejan Bridges gets back and until Marvin Mims is ready um, for the upcoming season. But at the end of the day, this is a guy that if he does all the right things – he continues to develop, and he continues to grow and mature as well. Um, I mean, he is on pace probably to be the number one pick in the NFL draft whenever that time comes. Um, he's that good of a quarterback, and I think uh, Lincoln Riley showed that as such by putting him in in the Peach Bowl. Yeah, I, I probably just – this is probably just a silly observation because what the hell do I know, but – and also, he was an 18-year-old freshman when, in the few moments that we got to see him actually on the field in an OU uniform. My concern mm -hmm. with him is just from the standpoint of maybe it's just because it was such a culture shock to go from Jalen Hurts, who is a tank, to Spencer Rattler. But in just terms <laughs> of the physique, mm -hmm. like Kyler Murray was short, but the guy was muscular as hell like like obviously you don't want to see a guy that short get pounded all the time and get hit by a defensive lineman or a linebacker or whatever you like look i, I know what you're doing like yes i said pounded We're, this is a football <laughs> podcast let's let's put our let's put our adult ears on mother no <laughs> spencer's just i don't even know how to describe it just obviously he's going to put on some good muscle he's, he's going to put on some good weight but mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, there's just something about him that just screams. I don't want him getting hit that much. And we're talking about a Bill Biedenboe offensive line that we all assume is just going to get better because of the track record. But last year's offensive line, while not awful, not bad, not even average, it was good. But that's an incredible shift from what it had been the last three to four years, which was incredible. So hopefully that offensive line improves. If it doesn't, and Spencer Rattler is having to run for his life, I just don't know how much how much you know punishment he can take. We know we know Jalen Hurts could take it because the guy's a tank, but 
that's a it's a silly observation i'm just curious mm-hmm. if that's ever swam around your brain I, it definitely has i think it was more so with the kind of carelessness i think is the right word to use the way he played his senior year of high school i mean the guy was willing to get hit the guy was willing to try to extend plays that didn't need to be extended but at the same time i think from what we saw of him at Oklahoma in the minimal time that we did against South Dakota and against LSU, this is a guy that wants to stay in the pocket. He wants to be able to make throws. He sees the windows um, that the throws need to be made through. And at the end of the day, I think, I think that is a valid concern though. I think when you talk about a guy that hasn't really been hit before, especially at the college level and especially at that size, I mean, that has to be a concern. But I, I, I think the counter that, that Oklahoma, granted, if they, the offensive line doesn't take the leap that I expect and you expect and everybody expects them to make with the returning everybody and then inserting Stacey Wilkins at left tackle, that Oklahoma's going to be running a lot of 12 personnel again this year. They're going to be running a lot of two, two, eight, two, two H-backs, two tight ends, one H-back yeah. on every play. I mean, that, that's, that, it has to happen because of the depth of wide receiver. So I think that is going to help Spencer out a lot in that regard. But that, I think the concern is definitely valid. He's just – it's not Clint Trickett, but it, – Yeah, he's, it, he's not too skinny. He's not too small. <laughs> I'm not trying to say that, but he is on the smaller end. And when you're talking mm-hmm. about an offensive line that's supposed to make the leap, and we've already discussed how the wide receiver depth, at least at the beginning of the season, is going to be probably a, a question mark until they're, they prove otherwise. I mean, if you've got a bunch of receivers – that are dropping passes and your quarterback loses faith of them in the game. And then he's forced to take off, be a little bit more unsure of himself. That leads to injury that can lead to just disaster on the field. So you, you may, you may never think, Oh, questionable wide receiver core that could lead to your quarterback getting hurt. No, this is a team sport for a reason. So like all these things have to work out in order for OU to be the juggernaut that we know, know them to be on offense. It's just, it's just what I've been thinking of. Cause usually at this point in the year, I'm, I'm telling myself, how will OU screw this up? How can they fail? And this is just like one of those things that's like offensively speaking, because we know there are questions on defense. Defensively speaking, yeah, this is where it would be. Absolutely. A- absolutely. No, 100%. I-, I think Spencer is the key master to this entire deal. I, I think the- if he go the way he goes, Oklahoma goes. So, uh in the offensive line, I, 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 I like where they're at at center, left guard, and right guard. Agreed. I, I, like, I like that trio. The biggest question mark to me is if – was Adrian Ely's problems last season because of an injury? That is a question that we don't know. Because he – James Lynch made him not just in the Big 12 championship game whenever he was hurt, but in Waco. James Lynch from Baylor, who is a damn good defensive lineman. I mean, might have been the most underrated defensive lineman in the country last year. But still, he is not a guy that you saw Oklahoma tackles get beat by. And I know we're, it's kind of skewed when you're talking about Bobby Evans, Cody Ford, and Orlando Brown. But Oklahoma, that offensive line, I think, is going to depend a lot on Adrian Ely, and it's going to depend a lot on Stacey Wilkins. And I think the confidence in Spencer Rattler – for the offense in 2020 also is on Adrian Ely and Stacey Wilkins. I think the entire load of it um, is on their backs. If they play well and they progress and they are the guys that we think they are, 
then Spencer could have a Heisman caliber season. But if yeah. they're not, then I think we may see the erratic, the turnover prone um, kind of guy that some have expected. And so at the end of the day, though, I, I think, like you said, that if, that, if there is one concern, it's the book and tackles. And uh, we won't be able to kind of figure that out um, until one, we know if Adrian Ely, how hurt he was last year. And two, if Stacey Wilkins has progressed behind the scenes as well as what we've all heard. So now let's pivot back to uh, Caleb Williams, the guy on everyone's mind. And I'm just going to ask you kind of an off the wall unrelated question in the previous decade for the two thousands from 2000 to 2009, 2010, who is your favorite Kansas quarterback and why is it Todd? Reason? <laughs> <laughs> that was well played. I had no idea where you were going with that. Um, Ins- inside jokes will kill this podcast, but you know what? I'll have fun doing it. So um, yes. Uh, I mean, this Caleb- isn't this this is an inside joke. Honestly, this is that is my comp. I, I think he is a more athletic. And I'm here to tell you that if that's the case, OU fans should not be cheering that they got Caleb Williams. Todd Reesing, Todd Reesing was a fine quarterback, and he had moxie, and he had every single white quarterback stereotype. You know, like he had some athleticism to him. Uh, he played with some swagger, and he may, he helped Kansas have probably their best season of football ever um, in a season where they did not play OU, and they did not play Texas back when Texas was still really good. They had Colt McCoy that year, so Texas was still very good. Um, if you all remember, Big 12 North and South, Kansas dodged the two best schools in the South that year. Needless to say, they still won the Orange Bowl. Todd Reesing, fine quarterback. But we think of him as a fine quarterback or a great quarterback, whatever, because that's the standard for Kansas. If you just took Todd Reesing or, quote, more athletic Todd Reesing, unquote, and put him in OU's system with OU's uh, – Right now, OU system right now. OU system right now with OU standards of quarter, not just winning, but quarterback play. I mean, we have, like myself included, we have fans that – hate Landry Jones and Landry Jones is a great quarterback any school in the country Alabama would have loved to have Landry Jones even back Mm -hmm. when they were winning national titles early on in the 2000s so like I'm sorry but if that's the comp then that's disappointing now I've heard Donovan McNabb's name thrown around and when I see when I hear Donovan McNabb and I watch his release I watch him move around in these albeit drills with uh, basketball shorts on that to me makes a lot more sense. And that to me is a lot more exciting, not just because Donovan McNabb had a much, he had a really good NFL career with the Philadelphia Eagles. um, But just from the standpoint of that makes sense when I see it, that's an exciting player that attracts other players to want to come here. Todd Reesing does not do that. So I'm sorry, but please tell me why I'm wrong. I don't, I don't think um, you're wrong in that regard. And at the same time, too, I don't think in terms of the evaluation, um, it's complete. I think the conversation we're having right now to where we're discussing Todd Reesing and we're discussing Donovan McNabb, um, I, and I've heard even someone uh, agree with me in the regard that Caleb Williams' ceiling is a young Steve McNair, which I think is a better comp um, than Donovan Ooh than Donovan McNabb that would be that would be nice um so but at the same time too I think as it stands today in my opinion based off going back and watching Kansas football um those games from back in 2007 2008 
I think the two are very comparable. And I think if you put Todd Reesing in Oklahoma's offense right now, one, he wouldn't be going out. And I know the rumors of him drinking out the night before games, that wouldn't be happening. He'd probably be in really good shape. He'd be a lot like Baker Mayfield um, in that regard. Yeah, because Logies will probably be closed by then. (laughs) So, you know. Not for good. Not for good. I'm not advocating for small business loss here. So it's one of those things, but the thing of the thing that sticks out to me whenever I go back and watch Todd Reesing play, and the reason why I came up with the comp that I did at the time, um, is because Todd Reesing was able to make throws off balance. He was able to make plays outside the pocket, and he also too, he he was five eleven. Caleb's six foot at the most. Um, I think the height comparison there is a lot better, and I think whenever you talk about what Todd Reesing was to Kansas. It, I think Todd Reesing could have been just as good at Oklahoma. That's I know we disagree there. But whenever you talk about what Todd Reesing meant to Kansas, I think Caleb Williams in that same regard is going to mean um, to Oklahoma. Yeah. He In terms of the offense, in terms of the offense that's run around him, the system that's going to be in place, the ability to make plays out of nothing, those are the things that stick out to me. I know that doesn't that's not an absolute prime description of Todd Reesing, but as I said, I don't think there's a good comp. If there is one, that's what I would have. And yeah. I, don't, I don't like the Steve McNair comp, and I don't like the Donovan McNabb comp because Caleb Williams is way more athletic than Donovan McNabb. And I don't like the Russell Wilson comp either. So, yeah, that, I feel like that's a, lazy, that, that's a lazy comp that people are starting to make. Like, oh, smaller quarterback. Mm-hmm. He gets thrown around, I think, way too easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I with agree. With little to show for it. So I think the best thing I can say – um, about Caleb Williams, and I know I've already said it before, is that he is a lot like Kyler Murray in his personality, the way he goes about his business. And if that is the guy that we think, that I think he is, then Oklahoma is getting an animal that we haven't seen at that position quite yet. Baker was different from Kyler. Kyler was different from Jalen. Spencer is completely different than all three of them. Caleb Williams is going to be different than all four of them. That's just that's yeah. how it's that's how it's gonna be. And I think Caleb I I could tell you <laughs> this is a perfect time to talk about this. So his high school coach told me, I asked him straight up, Brady, about his sophomore and junior tape. That's I literally I was like, in his sophomore tape, it's clear that he has an elite arm, he's got elite arm strength, he's got elite arm talent, he's super athletic, and he can he does things on a football field that no one else can do. And then his junior tape is different because it's only showcasing his playmaking ability opposed to his ability to be a pocket passer. His high school coach started laughing at me. I'm not kidding. Started laughing at me. He goes, man, we were just trying to have fun with it because the sophomore tape was what was got what they wanted to showcase that to college coaches. Yeah. So I, I think my evaluation is a little skewed and duped for whoever's listening to this podcast will know who I'm talking about. <laughs> is the best way to describe it. So I think the world of Caleb Williams, I think this is a guy, and I said on the Periscope earlier, Brady, uh, that he is a guy that at the end of the day is going to be an impact player at Oklahoma, regardless if he ever plays a snap. That's just the kind of person he is. And I think when you talk about the prospect and the, the player and this and that, like that's all fine and dandy. But if Caleb Williams was a piece of shit, nobody would want him to be the starting quarterback at Oklahoma. Yeah. Kind of. And it's the kind of the same conversation we had at the end of Jalen Hurts' tenure at Oklahoma. And I'm not saying Jalen Hurts was a POS, 
at all. He's a really good human being and a really good dude. I just think if that was the conversation we were having right now, uh, this tone would be a lot different. I think he's going to be a big time player at Oklahoma. I think he's going to start at quarterback at Oklahoma at some point. And at the, and when it's all said and done, I think this is a guy that could end up being a top draft pick um, when the time the NFL draft comes for him. Yeah. And, and look like that's why the quarterback position is so unique and clearly um, history has shown you don't need to have a surefire Hall of Famer to, um, at the quarterback position in college to win a national title. I mean, Alabama has like a slew of quarterbacks that have won national titles that are probably, you know, they're probably names that you would see on a tri- on trivia night. Like, what Alabama quarter? What was the Alabama quarterback that beat Clemson? Like, uh, I I don't know that name. You know, and then really quick, I do want to mention because I do like Todd Reesing. Like, 2007 is one of the most fun years of college football ever. Um, it's a year that I always feel like if OU didn't lose either to Colorado or Tech and they got into the national title game, they probably would have won. Like there were five or six teams that could have won the national title that year. OU, I think, was one of them from a talent standpoint. Um, Todd Reesing, if you just put him in, in OU, I think he'd have success. What I'm talking about is just the standard of the OU quarterback, and I just don't think Todd Reesing would meet it. I mean, th- think of a guy that I love, like Nate Hibble or Paul Thompson. I love those quarterbacks. They have a lot of great moments in their career at OU, but when we're ranking quarterbacks, people often forget, oh, yeah, Paul Thompson, or, oh, yeah, Nate Hibble. He won a Rose Bowl. That's kind of cool, you know, and then they just move on just because, like, they're not as good as Jason White, Sam Bradford, even Landry Jones that gets criticized a lot, you know, and obviously the guys that came later that won Heisman's. That's my thing. So if Caleb Williams is that – if that's his floor is basically Todd Reesing, then OU will be good, you know, but I don't know if they're going to be at the level. Like, they need to have a defense by then that can carry them and win them games. They need to have dynamic special teams, and they need to keep getting dynamic playmakers because if, if there's basically just Todd Reesing there throwing the football around, hopefully whoever he throws it to can make plays because I just – I have a higher standard for the quarterback position at OU, I guess, I, like I should say. But, um, no, I'm, I'm, again, I'm excited for Caleb Williams. But I think the next thing that I wanted to get to, get into that you kind of teased at the end of that, he's kind of like Spencer Rattler in that when Spencer Rattler committed to OU, a lot of greatness came with him. And we've seen that. Um, if you have a quarterback in your, cl- in your class, it kind of dictates a lot of your class kind of forming organically because these kids simply want to play with each other. Or they're like, hey, that, that quarterback that I played against or that I've seen or I've heard about on social media is going to be there for the next three to four years. I want to roll with that guy. And we kind of already talked about how the domino effect didn't really happen yesterday on the 4th of July. But um, I think you would be a little unwise just to say, well, this is an absolute dud because Caleb is more than likely going to bring a handful of players probably with him or at least – um, a handful of players that will at least have OU in their final two, you know, just to be on the safe side. Absolutely. I, and I think when you talk about Caleb and the gravity towards him, um, it's the fact that everybody that comes in contact with him believes that he can take them to the highest level that they could go. And when you talk about getting guys along the same lines – you're talking about the number one offensive tackle in Tristan Lee. You're talking about the number one wide receiver in the country in Emeka Ibuka. You're talking about the number one offensive guard, Bryce Foster. You're talking about Oklahoma making a final list for a five-star defensive tackle out of Louisiana. You're talking about Oklahoma being a contender for JT 
I can't say his last name from Washington, <laughs> um, the defensive end. I mean, this is the impact Caleb Williams is having. Now, if there is I, – I, I'm less on the latter two, obviously less confident that Oklahoma is going to be able to get them, and I would be very shocked at that point. Yeah. But offensively, I mean, Bryce Foster, Tristan Lee, Emeka Ibuka, Kamar Wheaton – I mean, it, there is a handful of the top players at their positions in this recruiting class in the country that are considering Oklahoma, Kamar Wheaton beforehand and Bryce Foster beforehand. But the other two, that is all Caleb Williams. And that is the gravity towards him that you, that you hear about and that you see on social media. I thought it was interesting that even Trevion Henderson – the top, uh, the number two running back in the country, congratulated Caleb Williams on Twitter yesterday. And he's committed to Ohio State. And he's a guy that Oklahoma was after, supremely after, and was their number one running back on the board, from what I understand. Now, I think the world of Kamar Wheaton, and you know that, uh, over anybody else in this class. But just back to the original point, Caleb is going to bring a host of talent with him. I, and I think at the when it signing day comes in not December but in January or in February, Oklahoma is going to have a top five class, Brady, and it's going to be because of Caleb Williams. And I, I honestly, we taught you mentioned Spencer at the beginning in 2019. I don't think Spencer had that kind of gravity. I think you're talking about Theo Weiss and Trenton Bridges, who are from the state of Texas, and then Jane Hazelwood, who had family connections to Oklahoma. This is completely different, in my opinion. Yeah, this kind of has more of an NBA free agency uh, feel to it than, than Spencer Rattler did. I think Spencer Rattler, I think it was just kind of like, like you said, there were some nice coincidences that fell into OU's favor. And then it's like, yeah, of course, I want to play with this kid Spencer Rattler because, I mean, like two of those guys played with him at the opening that you were at. And uh, they were all on the same team on that little seven on seven thing that I at least got to see. So yeah, like sometimes you just get lucky. Uh, but yeah, Caleb, this whole thing has more of an NBA free agency feel to it where it's like, there's all these back channel talks with all these kids, all these players. And they're like, yeah, we want to play with each other. Like that just, it feels like NBA so much to me, but um, really quick, because you know, you as somebody who follows recruiting a lot more closely than I do. And this is something that I've been screaming about in the group chat for the last three, four years. Um, and it's when I've become super, super critical um, with Bob's recruiting over the last pretty much decade of his career at OU, where to me, it just seemed like, okay, obviously the big, the big 12, as things went along, yeah, it became a little bit harder to get surefire top five, top talent defensive players to come to a big 12 school, um, especially when a lot of the top defensive players in Texas that OU was getting at the time would end up flaming out. How much of that was OU's fault? How much of that was, you know, the, the, the prevalence of the spread offense in Texas high school football that kind of takes away from the talent of a defensive tackle. Like it's just, you know, it's, it's hard for us to say we can have our, our opinions or whatever, but um I was always of the, under the impression that it just seemed like, okay, well, Bob understood that there was an uphill battle for player X out of the South, um, where a lot of the NFL talent comes from. I'm not going to go out of my way to try and tell somebody that I know is not, or try to recruit somebody that I know is, is probably not going to come here. It's going to be too much of a fight. I need to go reallocate my resources elsewhere. 
or it's you know it's you know the the whole the in the joke of like okay what's his offers utep arizona arizona state oh yay you know like awesome talking about oklahoma state or oklahoma oh yeah well you know bob from 2010 on i'm still a big proponent of yeah, if OU doesn't get that defensive lineman out of Louisiana, but they fall in the, top, in the final three or four, that is obviously a positive step. And it's just a sign that Lincoln Riley and his recruiting and his staff are taking the, the right direction here. Do you ever want to finish in the top two? Does it matter if you finish in the top two for Adrian Peterson? No. What matters is if you landed Adrian Peterson. But from where OU is coming from, especially on the defensive side of the football, if they're now starting to get into the final three or four, if they're basically on the table of the hats for a top five defensive lineman, top five linebacker, that's a surefire NFL talent, and they don't get them, it's like it's only a matter of time at this point. If Alex Grinch can keep up the, the upward trajectory of the defense, the upward trajectory of the recruiting, and OU's offense with Lincoln Riley quarterback play steadily remains one of the best in college football. It's only a matter of time before OU starts winning those recruiting battles, but you have to start somewhere. And that's where I'm very excited with Lincoln Riley, obviously, but also having a guy, these are all positive signs that at some point, maybe in the near future, if not now, this coming class, OU is going to start winning battles that three or four years ago, you and I would have been like, there's no way in hell they get that kid. You know how they start winning these battles defensively, Brady? And this, you're going to go stop, but... (laughs) If Buki Radley-Hiles has a big year this year, that is going to help out a lot. Yeah. Never a big-time defensive guy can come to Oklahoma and develop and commit or, and commit to the program, and, um, and Buki has. And that's, a, that's the craziest thing about, about that situation is because we Buki knew about – Buki is such a smart player. I, I just, I've said it a, the handful of times we've talked about him on this podcast. He's such a smart player. He's just too damn small. And – his defensive coordinator failed him in the first place by playing him out of position. So we'll, we'll possibly never know, but at the end of the day, he's just too damn small, but mm-hmm. that dude has a football IQ on like, like it's very rare. That guy diagnoses plays all the time, but just, it, it gets to a point where sometimes he knows what's coming, but it just doesn't matter. Cause he's just too damn small, but go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Th- yeah. There's not many, I don't know that point. There's not many players that can make the pick he had um, to win the game against TCU, yeah. but um, no, I, I think, like I said, you got to have players start to, the, making, you know, big impacts, not just in the college level, but the NFL. They need Neville Gallimore to end up being a guy in the next two years for the Dallas Cowboys. They need Ronnie Perkins to be a top two to three round draft pick after this year, despite only playing six games. Uh, that, that goes in line with a lot of what you were just talking about. And I think moving forward, um, like you said, Caleb Williams gets you in the door. Caleb Williams is getting Oklahoma in the door for a Mason Smith. Caleb Williams is getting Oklahoma in the door for a Tristan Lee, even though he's an offensive prospect. That's the kind of impact that he's having. And a lot like what you said, and we still haven't gotten to the other commitment that happened yesterday that is of the defensive side and is one of the best players in the country at his position. But Oklahoma – I think whenever you talk about defensive line and what, what Oklahoma's doing defensively in terms of their scheme, they, they, yes, landing big-time guys is, is, is always going to be helpful. But if they can get some guys that are super athletic, that can bull rush, that can shoot gaps, that is more important to me than Oklahoma going out and landing – the number one defensive tackle in the country because he may not fit exactly what Oklahoma is wanting to do. This isn't a scheme 
that but that people f- that God, I, I got to make sure I say this right. That prospects don't fit the scheme the player does. Does that make sense? No, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I wonder. So, I, I just wonder how much of that was just out of necessity for Alex Grinch based on what he inherited. Is that what he always wants to do, or mm-hmm. is that just what the reality of the situation is? Is like, well, we don't have great interior defensive lineman play, or insert great defensive lineman prospect here. But what I have are a few good, like really good athletes, like a Jalen Redmond. Like, mm-hmm. like what you're describing sounds like a Jalen Redmond, where it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, he just started playing football like literally five minutes ago. But dude, look at this guy! <laughs> it's just yeah. he's so incredibly talented. He's so fast, so quick. Got a great first step. If I have three or four guys like him at different weights on my defensive line, I can roll, roll with that. Absolutely. And I think there is something to that. But this is what Alex Grinch did at Washington State as well. Now, the other thought to that, though, Brady, is a lot of what I've told you about the program and Alex Grinch in general, that Ruffin McNeil told me last fall that – Alex Grinch was the defensive version of Lincoln Riley. If that is the case, then Alex Grinch is willing to adapt. And if this becomes a four down front in which I have hypothesized and theorized on based off how they're recruiting in 2021, that that may be the direction this defense is heading, that that means then if they can get into a scheme that is more viable for a six foot four, 310 pound top five defensive tackle in the country to come play to and Neville Gallimore is having success and Ronnie Perkins is getting drafted in the first two to three rounds and Jalen Redmond's getting drafted that high too. That's when Oklahoma starts reeling in the big fish on the defensive line. And I think that that time is coming at some point, but as it stands today, I don't think it is in Oklahoma's best interest to go out and go get a big name guy on the defensive line because he's a big name guy. Yeah. It, they're just they're not at, they're not at that point yet. And but where they are at a point is that they need a secondary full of f-ing dudes. Guys that are long, guys that can run, guys that can make plays, that is not afraid to come up into the tackle box and make plays. And Oklahoma did get a guy yesterday in Latrell McCutcheon that in my evaluation and what I wrote on soonerswire.com that he it is up to him to do the things right and it is up to the Oklahoma's defensive staff to develop him and if those two things happen this is an all-american type corner i truly feel that way there are things that he does in coverage that kid and he tore his ACL last year so we're working off his sophomore tape so he was 16 maybe even 15 at the time this is a guy that has a natural feel for making plays on the ball, whether that's with him turning his head and making plays, whether that's him tracking the football into the receiver's hands and making a, getting a PBU out of it. This is a guy that with the length, with his ability to turn and run and his natural instincts playing football, that this is the guy that Oklahoma has got to, they have to land every single year. No question, no if, ands, or buts about it. This is that is the kind of corner they have to land at least one of those guys every year. They landed one in Joshua Eaton in 2020, and they landed another in Latrell McCutcheon in 2021. 
you got to have a corner that can be a man in Oklahoma's defense and the way they want to play. They can't keep relying on safety uh, coverage uh, behind them. They can't – They it just – it's not going to work. And they're going to continue to give up big plays in the passing game like we've seen. They're going to continue to have safeties not being able to run fit quick enough because they've got to rely on safety help over the top. And I think Oklahoma has taken a huge step with that with Joshua Eaton and then landing uh, the number 66 player in the country according to rivals and then and a, the number five or six corner in the country according to rivals and Latrell McCutcheon. Things are looking up. I mean, I feel like the secondary recruit in terms of recruiting, at least especially the last two seasons, it's not a matter of like, will the secondary ever be like it used to be at OU back in the early 2000s? It's just a matter of when. Like, when will these guys develop? When will these when will the light come on for these guys, whether it be physically or mentally? Um, they've just recruited so well. I mean, at least in the next two years, you could have a what a secondary with maybe a, a Cradell, a Woody Washington, McCutcheon. Um, I mean, what are we talking about cornerback wise? Oh, what was that kid's name? It's been so long since I've I mean, this, looked at the roster. This is the I think this is what the secondary is going to look like in 2021 or in 2021 2022. You're going to have uh, Joshua Eaton. You're going to have Latrell McCutcheon, you're, and you're going to have uh, uh, Kendall Dennis at corner at safety. You're going to have Bryson Washington. You're going to have Justin Harrington, and you're going to have uh, about slipped slipped up there. Um, and then and then you're going to have a nickelback of some sorts. Um, but I think this is a secondary that is on the up and up, and I think it's happening pretty quickly. Um, I'm pulling up my chart right now. Uh, you got DJ Graham. Uh, as well and Jade Davis is the name you were probably missing. Jade Davis there we go yeah so you're gonna have in 2021 you're gonna have Jade Davis and Joshua Eden and Kendall Dennis and DJ Graham and Latrell McCutcheon those guys are a different body type they're a lot faster um, than the guys that they've had prior and then in, and in, the, in the safety position you're talking about Bryson Washington uh, you're talking about a guy like Jeremiah Cradell like you mentioned and Woody Washington and Justin Harrington I mean those guys are just different and uh, I think, like you said, it's on the up and up. It is so hard to not sit here, and I would understand completely if someone called me an OU homer right now, but it, it is hard to find a negative about what they're doing on the recruiting trail, what they're doing on the, as a football team, and I know they haven't won the big one yet, but there, it, it's, there's so much positivity in the direction of Oklahoma's football program for a team that's been to three straight college football playoffs and won five straight Big 12 championships. There's, there's, uh, it's hard to find. Uh, you're nitpicking um, at this point if you're trying to find something um, in terms of the future. I, I get next season. There's a ton of question marks, and I think people still have a right to be angry at the former defensive coordinator for that reason. But it, it's hard to find um, anything negative about where the future of this defense is heading and the future of the program. Yeah, and I think at the very least, it gives Grinch the thing that he was asking for all last season, like. I need more competition in, in, at my safety spot than what we're mm -hmm. getting right now. So, like, those guys could end up not even becoming all-conference players. But if they're all, like, what you just described to me, like, all those names, it's like, at the very least, there's going to be healthy competition. So, if one of those guys just doesn't cut it, Grinch could probably have enough confidence that the guy behind him, well, maybe he doesn't practice as well. Maybe, like, when the game lights come on, he's just a gamer. I'm going to throw this guy out there because you just gave up a bad play. He's no longer – like, it seems like OU secondary is no longer just prisoner to what they have rolling out their game one. It's like, well, this is what we got. Like, we have no other choice. Um, the backups are, like, comically worse 
than what we have mm-hmm. out there right now. So at least like, obviously you want them to be like all conference, all American type level talents, but likelihood of that happening is kind of, you know, like, I wish, Oh, you could win a national championship every single year, but that just doesn't happen. But, um, I guess we'll, let's get into, I mean, we kind of just talked, mentioned it maybe football fall spring, but, um, I saw Lincoln Riley or everybody saw, I didn't see it, but you were on the call, Keegan, um, Lincoln talked to the media. What was it on Thursday or Friday? Didn't really have that, didn't really have that much special, unique stuff to say, but, um, in this day and age of the question looming, like, are we going to have college football in the fall? Uh, Langston university just canceled their fall sports. Um, the NBA is getting closer and closer to flying their players out to Orlando, which I believe is this Thursday. Um, but it seems like every other Isn't day. Isn't one team already down there? Yeah, the Toronto Raptors have been there for like two weeks. Um, but it seems like every other day, like a team has to close all their facilities because someone tests positive for COVID-19. And I don't really know how that affects like the travel schedule, but we're getting closer and closer to it either being like, this is either going to work I don't know how God willing it's going to work or it's we're getting closer to it being like, yeah, this is not realistic. This just can't work. We have to scrap it. So um, anything interesting that I may have missed from Lincoln Riley's boring zoom meeting on Friday, Keegan? No. um, I I think like I I said it on Twitter and, and in the periscope, but you know, the buzzwords were very evident in terms of what he was saying and, how he was describing the situation that they're in right now, right now was used a lot. Adjust was used a lot and doable was used a lot. Yeah. So I think where Lincoln and Oklahoma's at is that they're trying to get everybody else on board of the fact that they are going to have to adapt and adjust to what the situation is going to be in the fall. I think Lincoln Maybe Lincoln mentioned it that talking about a NCA centralized system for testing and blah, blah, blah with that. I, I, I don't quote me on that. I, I think he talked about it. I don't remember exactly, but Brady, I think this is where we start talking about this again for the two second of third podcasts. I'm about 51 49 now that we're having football this fall. I don't think we will. And, I, and that I is, ba- and that I can say that is based on some conversations. I, I don't I don't think so just from the standpoint of like you look at the NBA's plan for a bubble in one city in one th- like theme park so it's not just in the city of Orlando it's on a literal theme park like yes the theme park is big but you have to have a big space for 22 NBA teams that bring about 50 to 80 people not just players so you've got 22 like times 60 people that's a lot of people and then you've got you know, broadcasters in terms of like having cameras there, people to operate cameras, you got trainers, you got people feeding them, you've got officials, you got everything. There's so many people have to be involved in this. And it's still about as on paper, a perfect plan as you can have. And we're still questioning whether or not it should even begin or if it even can begin to even be to a point where it can possibly end. And we're talking about maybe having a college football season with kids that are going to be in class with OU players could be good and just do what they're told to do. Don't go to Logie's, don't go to Campus Corner, but they're going to classrooms with kids who don't have to answer to Lincoln Riley. And if any of them gets it, the players will get it. So it's just so much to ask for. 
it's too, it's so unrealistic. And I haven't seen any plans because there isn't like a, a league commissioner for college football that we can all point to and ask them this question of like, what is the plan? Like all these conferences are doing it kind of by the skin, like skin of their teeth. Schools are like doing it by themselves as well. Like big schools like OU. So I just don't know how it could happen in the fall. I wish we would have just said when this started and we all kind of like, we didn't have any data. We didn't have that much information. We didn't really know what this virus was doing. We had an idea and we still basically are working off of that idea with just a little bit more information that we've accrued over time. But between then and now, like, yes, at one point I kind of forgot about the virus and got a little excited about having college football in the fall. And then the cases started spiking and then I was reminded, Oh yeah. I wish they would have just gone ahead and moved the damn sport to the spring because what we need is time. And we're running out of time right now if we're talking about college football in the fall. We have a lot more time if it's college football in the spring for one year. And what about the offseason? What about 2021? And, like, what's, how's that going to affect it? You know what? We'll cross that fucking bridge when we get there. That's, that's the whole point. Like, we either get a vaccine, which is a, like a fucking – pipe dream we either get drug treatment which is pretty realistic you know like i would assume so it's much more realistic than getting a straight up vaccine something else happens maybe we get a different president that instills more confidence in the american people i don't know but i just don't know why we haven't moved it to the spring i wish we would have because by now keegan we would be we'd have a plan we'd have an understanding of how things were going to go. We would have already accepted that once September rolls around, we won't have football watch on Saturdays and the sadness would have already kind of subsided by now. So um, I think we're just kind of delaying the inevitable at this point. They just need to move the sports spring. It's July 5th. July 1st was kind of the target date, right? For us to maybe hear something about a college football season. Yep. I think – by each day that goes by that means that we're not going to have football in the fall I I feel that way and I'm I'm saying it with a mellow tone because like if you think about how many people that's going to impact by not having football in the fall businesses in the towns that that are these college football programs are located the people um, that do the broadcasting uh, and then the people that cover the team we're we're going to be majorly impacted in the media world by not having football and look this is this is a minute thing especially when people are dying of this thing Mm -hmm. but again like it's corny but being a fan having a positive thing to look forward to like watching a game on a saturday with your friends and family that those are good things and this is just basically going to be a year where all that just didn't happen Mm-hmm. And will your life be able to continue? Yes. What, what's truly important is like being alive and having friends and having family and doing what you can with what you got. But still, like we're Americans, we get to have the luxury of being able to be sports fans and we're missing out on our luxury here. So again, like I understand it ranks low on the totem pole of mm-hmm. like what's important. But again, when you're talking about like how many people this will affect, it's like, yes, there's a financial side, but then there's also just a corny little, like little bit of your soul that gets ripped out of you when September rolls around October's here and there's no football. And I want to say, I do remember something from the Lincoln rally zoom call that kind of goes in this conversation that he was, you know, as of right now, 
he's confident that a game with Missouri State that doesn't have the testing capability that the University of Oklahoma has can happen. So I don't know if that means Oklahoma provides the testing equipment and capability that they need to, in order to be able to make the trip and do all those things. But we're heading for either a full season without fans, Brady, or a nine-game conference schedule in the spring yeah. with an 18 with an 18 playoff. And I yeah. know I this isn't me actually teasing and whatever for a story that I've written. Like that's just reality. Like. It's going to be nine conference games. It's going to be a conference championship game. And then we'll see if every conference, power five conference in the country wants to come together and come up with that decision on themselves. And I think whenever, if this does get moved to the spring, Brady, I think we may be looking at the pivotal moment of the NCAA in college football to where the NFL is going to step in and make it a player development league of some regard. To where because the NFL is going to have to get involved, and I asked Lincoln Riley this on the Zoom call on Friday, and he said the same thing that I'm saying right now. The NFL is going to have to work with college football if there is a season in the spring. That's just the facts. It's going to have to happen because if not, then the qual the, the the evaluations won from the NFL are going to be completely off. The number one pick is not going to be the same. There's not going to be any consensus um, amongst that, or the top overall prospect this and that. And then two, how can the NFL feel good about having an NFL draft in the middle of a college football season? Yeah. It just, it, it, you know, like they're going to have to work together. And if the NFL steps in and works with college football, then what does that mean for the future of the NCAA and college football? Because we've already heard conversations, not this year, but in years prior, about the NCAA, the undermining of the NCAA especially when it comes to college football. We're seeing it in college basketball with the NBA getting involved more and more there. But with college football, in that, I mean, they are the minor – the college football is the development league for the NFL. It's not labeled as such. And they're, they're going to have to do something. And if they do, I, I think it would be a good thing, honestly. But it would definitely be something that's a new normal um, that we're talking about, right? We've talked about with COVID-19 for a long time. And – I actually kind of would like to see the NFL work with college football. I think it would help a lot. I, I just from a player evaluation standpoint, from a doing all the right things, uh, equaling the playing field, this and that. I think there could be a lot of benefits to it, and I think it's something that we will see if we have football in the spring. Yeah, I think where my hesitation would be is like the whole like the NFL needs to like help out college football. Like if you're just strictly a college football fan, that's, that's like you wishing like, okay, they're just going to come out out of the kindness of their hearts because that's what needs to happen in order for all this to work out. But where I, where I would say reality steps in is where does the NFL have any incentive to do so outside of the things that you kind of mentioned? It's like, well, they'll have one draft where, maybe the number one overall pick is kind of all over the place in terms of all the evaluations. But um, I think at the end of the day, they would probably just side with, okay, who's the best player that we have the most film on that he's obviously old enough and probably physically mature enough to play in the NFL. We'll draft that guy. So they'll, they'll, they'll lie to themselves and say like, we don't actually need to because college football, like you said, it is the developmental league, just not labeled as such. And it's good for the NFL because they don't have any, interest whatsoever they don't have to pay anything 
it's just free, free, free athlete development for them. Why does it kind of work with the NBA and college basketball or with the uh, G League thing that's kind of starting to take traction with a lot of great high school talents going to the G League for development? It's because it's a different sport. There's fewer players. And as we all know, the NBA is a players run league. So players have a little bit more say. So if players are saying X, Y, and Z about the whole process of being drafted, the league is more inclined to listen, whereas the NFL and football is a team sport. You can have Peyton Manning on your team, but if you're the Detroit Lions, it doesn't matter how good Peyton Manning is. Um, that, that is a, it's a sport run by, unfortunately, front offices, coaches, and then the ability to scout and accrue talent. And the NFL is able to do that in terms of with college football as a free partnership. So I just don't know what interest the NFL would have in basically coming in as a deus ex machina and saving the day because what interest do they have other than we need the sport of college football. We all want it. <laughs> you know, like we all need something to look forward to. Please, NFL, do something for the common good, not just for your pocketbook. Absolutely. And I think, like I said, we're either having a football season in the fall without fans, which I'm completely fine with. It's football. It's fine. Uh, it would be weird to watch a game without fans in the stands, but, uh, or, or a season in the spring. And if we get a season in the spring, Brady, our crazy hypothetical conversation two to three weeks ago comes to fruition. Which one was that? We've had a lot of those. The geo, the essentially starting a geographical idea. Oh yeah. Of We're, and then and then getting an eighteen playoff to where the eighteen playoff is equal amongst the Power Five conference champions. You get a G five team, maybe two, and you get an at large and then two at large at large bids. And Notre Dame has to go undefeated. All those fun things. And I actually think that that would be very exciting. I. I would have a lot of fun with that because a we wouldn't know who the best team is because they don't play any non-conference games. And I know yeah. we, that those are answers you don't usually find every year anyways, like Alabama last year. Um, like we didn't know how good their defense was after they just mer just dismantled whoever they did in Atlanta to start the year last year or wherever they were at. But no, it's uh it's interesting times. And I think, you know, when we get to, you know, July 15th, that there's no decision, man. It's, I think, I think we know what the inevitable is going to be. I know I've said August 1st, a decision can be made probably on August 1st. That's cutting it really freaking close. Yeah. Well, cause I think the worst thing that can happen, obviously in terms of just the sport, not obviously the worst thing that can happen is like kids start dying from this, like college, Absolutely. college athletes start dying from this or even coaches. Like I, I don't want anyone to die from this, but when we're just talking about the sport of college football, the worst thing that can happen is that they get a game or two into their season and then they just decide to scrap it. The reason why the NBA is able to have something on paper to where they can potentially finish their season is because they got 65 games through an 82-game season. We pretty much have an understanding of who the best teams are. We've seen enough. So you can, in theory finish your season in like a three or four month span if you wanted to. And the NBA is clearly trying to do that. If college football gets a game or two in because they're just like, no, if they're like the mayor from Jaws, like, no, we are going to have the sport. We don't care about the sharks swimming around in the water. And then they have to scrap it or suspend the season. What does that do for eligibility? Like that's one of the 
questions that comes out from that scenario. Like what happens with player eligibility if they scrap the entire fall semester and then say, we'll pick it back up in spring. I'm sorry, but if I'm, if I'm a draft eligible player going into the fall right now, and I'm a good, good enough to be drafted and I get two games in and they're like, no, we're just going to wait till the spring. I'm like, I'm out. I'm sorry. Like there's just no, it, you know, in fact, if I'm a draft eligible player right now, I'm probably telling my coach, I'm sit me out, red shirt me. I just want to get drafted, <laughs> you know, cause there are just too many questions. And so that's why I'm just like, we've been so wronged by leadership at every single level, whether it's like you're probably your boss at work to like the listener listening to, you know, well up all the way to Washington. We have been wronged by our leadership. One of the problems with leadership across the board is just the inability to make the tough decision. And this is a tough decision because like we already talked about, this affects so many people negatively. If you just say no football in the fall and look, just because I'm saying football in the spring, that doesn't mean that I think by springtime we'll be all in the clear, that this will be over and past us. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is, is that just on paper buys us more time, and that's, that's all we have against this virus is just time. Like mm-hmm. we, can, we will outlast this thing. So um, it just makes the most sense to me why it hasn't already been decided. I don't really understand, but... Um, I don't know. It's like that's that's what's going to happen. And even if there's football in the spring, Keegan, I don't even think there'll be fans there in the first place anyway. If there's a vaccine, and I know springtime is probably um, the time that they would be ready for athletes. I mean, I, I would assume I – well, I cover the team, so I'd probably get it. But the common person probably can't get a vaccine that quickly. But if, if, if it's an economic impact and that's what they decide – um, having college football is uh, in terms of small businesses around those programs and uh, around those stadiums and this and that, then you theoretically can get a vaccine and players. And if fans get it and they have a signed sheet, they probably, that can work as well. But a lot of what you said is probably true. I, I mean, I'm not expecting fans to, if there is football is full, that will, there will not be fans. I mean, that's not based on honestly on any conversations that I've had. That is just the facts of the situation that we're in right now. And it's where the spikes are coming way too close um, to the college football season for that to happen. Could I see maybe if fans like halfway through a season, maybe if we get this thing under control a little bit, but then you insert the common flu season with COVID-19 and uh, it, this is a cluster, man. Yeah. And I, I, it's, it's exhausting to talk about and I know why we do. Um, but whenever it comes down to it, I, I just don't see, I, I'm with you now. I, I don't see football as full. I, I'm, I know I said 51, 49. That's truly where I'm at. It's almost 50, 50, but I, I just, whenever you think logistically and all the other ramifications of liability and all that, yeah, I just don't know how you can put it on. Yeah, and it's you're thinking that way because it's your job to cover the team, so you have to act as if there's going to be football in the fall right now. Until you're told otherwise, your brain Telling can't... me I'm a mouth... Am I a mouthpiece for college no, football, Brady? No, not at all. Like, I, I have to do the same thing with the NBA. Like, I have my deep-hearted opinions of how this thing's going to go. I want it to work just from the standpoint of wanting to have a sport to watch that I enjoy and also to have, you know, work to do. But until I'm told otherwise, I have to like, nope, 
we're going to watch basketball at the end of July and that's my job. So, um, I just, I hope something, I hope a plan can just be put in place. Like even we can poke holes in that plan all we want. I just want to see a plan. I want to see how this is theoretically going to work in the fall. We just haven't seen it yet. But, um, um, other than Lincoln Riley eating on the Zoom call, which I, I don't know, what, what do you think about Coach Riley just eating like while he's talking to you guys at his computer? I can't say anything. <laughs> I eat. I eat on every single one of these podcasts. Um, no, I I like it. I, I mean, if there's anything a coach, any time you're dealing with the media, and I know I kind of talked about journalism earlier um, and telling stories but you want to be relatable with the guy that you're talking to. You don't want to feel like this guy's better than you, bigger than you, this and that. And the fact that Lincoln felt comfortable eating um, during the zoom call, while well, this is going to be recorded and shown nationally. If some, if he says something picked up, I think, I think it's awesome. I, the fact, and I, I said this on the Periscope, it's that like they've, they've been on the cutting edge of what they've done for since Lincoln's been in Oklahoma since 2015. And it seems like in the last two months, they're just kind of taking a step back and letting everybody else fall on themselves. And then they just continue to pick up where they left off, no matter yeah. whether it's racial issues, no matter if it's recruiting, no matter if it's uh, COVID-19, whether it's scheduling, uh, player relationships, anything of that regard. So the fact that Lincoln felt comfortable enough to be eating on a Zoom call with us, I love it. I want more of it. I, I, I think it's I, more of that kind of stuff. Obviously, I don't – yeah, but um, that, got, that got awkward. Seaton chips and salsa and just dripping it all over his keyboard. It's like, ah, I don't care. I don't care. I take 10% pay cut. Ah, I don't care. Um, I guess like – Oh, when, yeah, yeah. You feel bad for him, by the way? This will sound weird, but kind of. I know, I know like the – hipster thing to do is to just hate rich people and never feel bad for them when they have to like pay a little bit more tax money. Um, I'll just, I'll say this like 10 years, like what 10 years ago, Lincoln Riley had how much money in his bank account? Probably not that much. You know, he was mm-hmm. an East Carolina offensive coordinator. Um, he has humble beginnings. Like a lot of us do, like a lot of people that listen to this podcast, like you and I certainly do. If in five years, Keegan, you and I got so big in our careers that we had as much money as Lincoln Riley, in those five years of our steady progression, we would have obviously improved our our level of living. You know, we'd probably live in a bigger apartment, bigger house, might have a new car. You know, you you get things because you earn them because you make more money. That's the whole point of it. So when you're Lincoln Riley and you've made X amount of millions of dollars for the last few years, you probably live in a bigger house. So when a pandemic hits and you're forced to take a pay cut, albeit a 10% one, so it's not that big to you and I, but he's got bills to pay just like the rest of us. And relatively speaking, I would imagine a ten, if I had to take a 10% pay cut, which I already have, I've taken a pay cut here and there over the last few months, like a lot of people have. Uh, paying, a, I took a, yeah, I took a 35% pay uh, reduction last month and a 10% yeah. this month. 50% uh, hours reduction for me. Fortunately, I have parents that can help me out, but... You know, bills that were otherwise manageable a few months ago are, I don't really know how this month's going to go for me, but I'll figure it out once I get there. Um, I'm sure Lincoln's not going to have that problem. So like basically my whole long, short version of my answer is kind of feel bad, but I'm glad OU is basically taking steps, at least from a PR standpoint of like, 
you know, like obviously college football, like it's a football state, it's a football school, but like at the end of the day, this is still college. This is the like university, this is academia. Um, we're trying to cut money from the top down, which is how your brain would probably tell yourself it's supposed to go. But obviously, obviously in society, sometimes it goes from the bottom up, unfortunately. No, I mean, it's unfortunate, but I guess that kind of segues us in the last thing, Keegan, which was um, how did you feel about OU's uh, transparency with uh, COVID testing? Loved it. I thought, I thought it was very, loved it. thought it was very thorough. And look, we don't need to know who it is. Um, if players want to be public about it, that's of their own free will, of course. But I, I appreciated the detailedness to it all. Um, it seems like, you know, that kind of silly thing that we talked about on a podcast or so ago, Keegan, where like, hey, are some coaches going to be like a little outlaw with this and like, hey, my quarterback test positive, but f- it, I'm going to put him out there anyway because he's not sick. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think Lincoln Riley know you're going to be like that at all. No, and I, I think just throwing the facts out there and that's it. And that does that keeps the media from trying to talk to sources to get them to talk off the record. Um, about uh, about players testing positive i think if you're out front with it it alleviates a lot of problems and that i think that what they did and how they handled it was perfect and i I hope next week and the next week after that and we continue to get more and more data from oklahoma and i'm sure we will Uh, i know lincoln hasn't talked about how they're going to test how often this and that but uh, I really enjoy. I, I, from a media perspective, I loved it because I don't have to start making phone calls um, to see what's going on. And I think as a fan, and, and and even as the team, I think everybody involved should like the way they handled it because you have all these some of these other programs. What is it? Will Muschamp at South Carolina? Well, they were they're not releasing anything, or they they weren't until. And I know, like I said, I believe. Um, the lead Texas Tech writer from the Av- the Lubbock Avalanche. What a newspaper name, by the way. And I believe he wrote a column basically calling out Texas Tech for how they were dealing with theirs. So the fact that nothing of that regard is happening with Oklahoma, the fact that they just handed the facts out and, and let us report on it and let people decide for their own decisions and this and that, that's the best way to handle it. And I would assume a lot of people kind of follow that lead yeah, and it kind of just my last question to you today would just be, you know, how this is all going to work out. I mean, obviously, I mean, even something like the Thunder, who this past week they finally had uh, media availability all last week, and they're still doing only individual workouts. So they'll have Danilo Gallinari come in from like 10 to noon into the practice facility so he can work out by himself. And then they'll have Chris Paul come in and they'll have Steven Adams come in. Um, obviously, with football, you can't really do that, so you have to do it by position group, I'm assuming. And this is another question, Keegan, that I, I seem to ask you a lot of questions that we can't answer, but it kind of just makes for a good conversation, in my opinion. But so much of football, it's a team sport. So much of football, that chemistry, it's earned with the blood and the sweat in the weight room. It's earned with the blood and the sweat on the practice field. And at some point, if we are going to have football in the fall, these players will be practicing as a team on the field. But you're missing out on all those, like, those moments. Like, if you've ever – like, Keegan, you've played sports. I've played sports. A lot of my fondest memories are not just playing the game. It's, like, lifting with my friends and my teammates in the gym. So, you're missing out on that. It just seems like if we do have football, 
in this very structured, limited team, even for the team access of working out together, of training together, hanging around together, you're going to have just a bunch of units performing like a job on the football field. These aren't employees, Brady. I I know they're unpaid college athletes. Um, But it's just going to be so odd. It just seems like that increases the risk for not just disaster of the play not being executed, but injury. Just because Mm -hmm. like, this is something you can't quantify. I understand that. I'm not saying that they're not working out together, so they're all going to get hurt. I'm just saying like, that little fundamental unquantifiable piece that makes football very special, we're going to miss out on that with a lot of these teams working out and preparing for the season. And then who knows what that leads up to, what the result of that is on the field, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think you look at what Lincoln Riley said about Baker and the Browns last season, that if just one piece of the system isn't functioning the right way, that can screw up the entire deal. Yeah. And like you said, if chemistry is extremely important. Now, I do think that if we do have a football season in the fall, that practice will be just normal because um, it will be a quarantined environment. The, you know, you test positive, blah, 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 you're not there. So uh, that part of it, I get it. Now, the working out and the camaraderie in the locker room that you're not going to be able to have, those are the things that – in terms of if you have a good culture in college football, things can get figured out in that locker room amongst players. We're at a point now to where these guys are, they're going to have to be a lot more communication over zoom, a lot more communication over FaceTime group chats, all those things. There's gonna be a lot less face-to-face communication. I, I think whenever you look at a program and this isn't me taking a shot or anything, but of any program in the country that needs some continuity that needs that charisma that needs that locker room culture. It's Oklahoma state and they're not going to have it this year and they're not going to have it this year at all. And they're starting from a bad place. Whereas OU is obviously not starting from a bad place. All these players probably have good opinions of one another. I'm not saying that they all love each other or something like that. Like uh, I have teammates back from high school. I didn't like even back then, but it's like, well, I mean, they're my teammates, so I'll go to battle with them. But, um mm-hmm. yeah osu oof. and i just and, want to be known if any of my teammates listen to this i genuinely love all you guys don't come and find me <laughs> yeah osu like mike mike gundy's contract got screwed with a little bit that buyout's a little bit cheaper still pretty hefty. It is it's uh it's it's cheap enough i bet i'd what? imagine nine dot nine million less or whatever it is after mm-hmm. this season that's quite a bit yeah, so when he, when did he start? 2005 was his first year as the head coach at OSU, so this is his 15th year, mm-hmm. again, if I, my, my math is correct. Mm-hmm. What that tells me, like, if we have a season... 16th year, right? 16th year. If he... I'm not a mathematician. If we have a season and they don't win nine games, he's gone. I agree. I think he has to be gone. Yeah. Of, you have maybe, to expect Maybe better. of his own volition at that point. Yeah, he, he, it may just be – and I can't believe I'm comparing these two. It may be an Eddie Sutton situation where he just resigns and steps down. And I know that's on the front of my mind because of the documentary. But, yeah, that's a, that's a program – and I, 
God, I've been screaming at it. And people think I'm just hate, I hate OSU. No, Brady, if anybody knows it better than anybody, it's you that I actually enjoy Oklahoma State being successful. And I enjoy, even to a point, watching Texas be successful. And so when it comes down to it, Oklahoma State should demand better. Yeah. They, yeah. they should. They, I, I get – and people are like, okay, what coach can come in and be better? Just accept the fact that you may be a stepping stone job. It's working at places like UCF and Memphis. And I know people are going to go, well, Oklahoma State's on their level. Well, look at the recruiting rankings. So, clearly, there's some alike there. <laughs> yeah, just because um, they've got a better conference patch on their jersey does not mean, like, exactly. really anything. Like, is it working for Texas A&M? I mean, they're getting – better recruits but albeit that that should make it more disappointing that they still suck and go eight and five every year Mm -hmm. so I think I I mean if there's any time that Mike Gundy has been on the hot seat it is right now and and it's not just football it's about life too he's gonna have to become a better human being and I know I've defended him um, a little bit on this podcast um, about allowing him to become and to learn and to listen and to become a better person to know um, his players by their first name well, Terman barely knew his punter, and he was the best one of the best players in America. So um, that's a Herman. Herman's a conversation for another day. But ultimately, they deserve better. And I think whenever you get down to it, uh, if Oklahoma State wins, if even nine games, if they go eight, they go nine and three, and lose a bowl game, and go nine and four with losing Chuba Hubbard and all those pieces on defense and the offensive line. Yeah. Not good. Not yeah. good. And I know they're recruiting. I love the way they're recruiting this year, by the way. They are landing some top tier two talent, um, which is not what's been the case with Mike Gundy as of late in recent years. So I, 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 I think they'll be fine. I, I've said what I've thought of Oklahoma State in this season on this podcast, but as we said, if they do go win less than nine games, I don't get why they would keep I, it makes no sense. They're not going anywhere. Yeah. Chuba's gone. Tylen Wallace will be gone. Spencer Sanders will, in theory, still be there unless he just becomes like a Heisman Trophy candidate, in which case they would win more games anyway. Um, yeah, they're they're not getting any better in the short term, on paper at least. So, yeah, I, I, just, I think we're counting down the days till we see a different coach at Oklahoma State, who that type of person would be. I don't even know. But, yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, OSU – They've kind of been in between a rock and a hard place with Mike Gundy because he is the greatest coach in their school's history by far. And he's also a guy that wants to be there on paper. Mm -hmm. You know, like I know he's used the school's leverage or he's used Tennessee as leverage to get more money out of OSU, but it's like that's kind of the – And Baylor. But that's kind of the – I mean, it's kind of the thing. Like you've got to – you know, if you're going to be a coach, you need to look out for yourself too – I would still be upset if I was an OSU fan. And when Sam Mays talks about it, I'm like, I 100% agree. So, yeah, like, it's going to be hard to find another coach that's, A, as good as Mike Gundy and also wants to be there for the long haul because OSU is just not that type of program. So, um, yeah, if TCU can be consistently successful from their standards with their resources, their limited amount of resources, even though they're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, why can't OSU without Mike Gundy? So, like, I 100% agree with that. But this has been your OSU segment on the Inside OU podcast. You know what's funny, though? TCU 
their uh, blue chip ratio since joining the conference. So I'm just going to go since Lincoln Riley got to Oklahoma. So since 2015, and I don't know what there is heading into this season yet. I need to update that this week. I promise I will finally get that done. Uh, but they were at 20% last year of their roster being four stars or five stars. They were at 7% in 2015. So it can be done. Yeah. It can be done, Mike. Put a little effort into it. A little it pep be, in your step. Can be done. Um, I would probably say for TCU, like while they have rivalries, I mean, does anyone really care about the battle in the Brazos? Does anyone really care about the Southwest Conference rivalry between TCU and Texas? I mean, it's just a game on the schedule to a lot of people. Um, Hell, Oklahoma State and Texas has become a really good rivalry. It has, especially like just because of the results on the field. It's been so up and down. But mm-hmm. um, OSU is always going to have an uphill battle no matter how much talent they have just because that looming shadow of being so overwhelmed in bedlam, like it's just hard to escape. And I, I, think d- he, I disagree. I disagree with you there. And I, I, think, I think the only way they can escape it, Keegan, is if they went to a different conference and weren't tied to playing, having to play OU. I think they would want to tr- – like if they were in a different conference, OU was in a different conference, I think they would still try to play the game just because it's short distance. It's good for the state. It would be like Georgia, Georgia Tech. Yeah, but like even in that sense, like your conference championship dreams are still alive because it doesn't matter. I just feel like that's we've seen far too much. Mike Gundy coaches so conservatively against OU. This is the best mm-hmm. coach that they're ever going to have, probably. I, I just it's too big of a monkey to get off their back that I don't even know if they can escape it. So here's how they do it: you don't let guys like Keewan Parker and you don't let guys uh, like Jatavion Hunt get out of the state of Oklahoma. You, you built perfectly fit for Mike Gundy. If someone goes up to Mike Gundy and says, build a wall around Oklahoma City, around Oklahoma. Oh, he'd probably be like, I, I don't watch OEN anymore. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> I'm not building any walls today. I'm only mending, mending fences. Building bridges. But, so, but hypothetically, <laughs> I, I think if they would do that, if they would just every top player – like Jamie Nance from Blanchard a couple years ago, I don't know if he made an impact at Nebraska last season. That's a guy that, that should not be allowed to get out of the state of Oklahoma. I don't know if anybody made an impact at Nebraska last season, Keegan. If a tree falls in the woods, uh, does it make a noise? Also a very good point. Yeah. But I, I think – you know what I'm saying? Like there, there is enough talent in the state of Oklahoma for Oklahoma State. I get it. Oklahoma's – I'm not meaning this in a bad way about Brendan Walker, but it, here in the, this season year or in the years to come, Oklahoma's not going to be needing to flip a guy like Brendan Walker from Oklahoma State. Yeah. It's just not it, – that's just not going to happen. And I know that Oklahoma State is kind of scared of that possibility of some of the in-state guys, but if it's an elite top 250, top 400 defense – or top 400 recruit, Oklahoma's going to go after him anyways. Yeah. State and- of Oklahoma. And look, I know there's a portion of the OU fan base that's like, we need more Oklahoma kids that grew up OU fans that live, eat, shit, and breathe OU football. And it's like, yeah, that, that has its place. But at the end of the day, OU is a, it's a blue blood school of standards. And we need good players, high-end level players, no matter, regardless of where they come from. But if you're a program like OSU, you can have the foundation of your roster be a whole bunch of kids that are overlooked, that grew up here, that understand – the importance of college football in the state of Oklahoma 
and maybe they even grew up OU fans and maybe they just decide like maybe they got to high school got through high school they didn't get recruited by OU OSU recruits them they go to OSU kind of pissed off willing to make a point and then you round off the edges of your roster with like the high end you know OSU can go off and get a receiver like they can they could recruit to like just from a track record alone they can go into anybody's room in high school in Texas top receiver recruit and say come here you can have a lot of success and they'll have to listen and maybe even with a little little bit of quarterback play if you just have like a few x x factors skill position wise but your foundation are a bunch of good old Oklahoma kids or whatever that know what it means you can have success at OSU why why they're not able to do that as consistently as like a TCU who has an upward trajectory with their roster I, I don't know you can just point to Mike Gundy just not being TCU a very good person. TCU is coming into the state of Oklahoma and landing players. I, I know you can't – people can't see my reaction right now, but it's so frustrating. And watch, SMU is starting to become like they're, – they're not going to pull in a bunch of players, but you're, you're, you're starting to see a lot of players where SMU is like kind of in their top whatever, you know, arbitrary number here. But it's like SMU. But just like I said with OU and defensive line talent – you got to start from somewhere. You're not going to start hitting the ball out of the park right when you walk to the plate because if you do, you're all Miss and you've been cheating this whole time and you will get caught. It's only a matter of time. But if, you just, if you're just in the conversation at the beginning and you keep having success on the field, you'll eventually start flipping those guys. And if SMU comes out of nowhere, that just makes it that much more harder for OSU to get players out of North Texas or even the state of Oklahoma. So that's their, that's their problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think – I mean, it's going to take a coach, I think, at Oklahoma State. You can't tell me that P.J. Fleck can go to Minnesota and start landing top four-star, borderline five-star guys to go to the University of Minnesota. And Mike Gundy, who is a lot closer to the state of Texas, can't land a top 25 class, year, top yeah. 30 class year in and year out. Or you just can't. Or three can't. or four of your games a year are played in the state of Texas. I, I just it, – it amazes me that it happens and – um, you know, I, I think whenever, and I know I'm kind of going off, and I, we probably have a ton of time left on this podcast, but whenever you talk about, uh, you know, even the way Oklahoma is recruiting, uh, you look at a guy like Kendall Daniels, like he just can't get out of the state of Oklahoma. It just can't, ha- it can't keep happening. And this is a guy, and I could tell you based off some conversations in the past two weeks, it's not a sure thing. He's going to Oklahoma. I just want, People, I think there is this reality that people think that the Oklahoma's defense is better. This is a kid from the state of Oklahoma. He grew up an OU fan, blah, 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 all those things. But whenever Brent Venables is coming at you and saying, hey, you look like Isaiah Simmons, we developed Isaiah Simmons from a three, from a two, three-star prospect into the most freakishly athletic um, linebacker safety prospect in the NFL, maybe ever. That is – and I could tell you this, the home field advantage for Oklahoma, that's, it's not as strong as what you would think. This is a situation to where his parents are okay with him heading elsewhere out of the, out of the state of Oklahoma, yeah. even with how close him and his mom are. It, it, so the, it's, it works both ways. And I think Oklahoma's going to get him. I do in the end. I absolutely do. But I, I, as it stands today, I'm not sure about that at all. And honestly, I've heard A&M been brought up quite a bit, but I've heard even LSU mentioned more lately um, than Texas A&M. 
and Clemson. I mean, Clemson is – they think the world of him. So it works both ways. And I think whenever you talk about what Oklahoma has been able to do, yes, Josh Proctor, uh, Oklahoma was his, one of his first offers, as well as Daxton Hill. Daxton Hill was never going to Oklahoma, and I, I still don't understand that situation completely. But Josh Proctor, Oklahoma just dropped the ball. And I know it was a different defensive coordinator at the time. But if there is anything positive, <laughs> if there is anything positive to that, you see Oklahoma talking about, how do I not this name? Kid from Booker T. Washington, Corner, Williams, no. It's late. God, it what's his what is his name? He's he's 2022 class. He's a DB. Goes to Booker T. Washington. He'll end up being a five, probably a friend five-star recruit. Oklahoma's been after him for two years already. Oklahoma, Oklahoma's been after uh they're already making offers in state in the class of 2023. So they have changed their tune a little bit in that regard. And Gentry that is good Williams. to see. Gentry Williams. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's, uh, it's good. I, I think um, Oklahoma is kind of making the progress the way they should um, in that regard. But uh, Roy Manning sent an interesting tweet out tonight, Brady. Oh, I missed it. People, if we can get people listening, um, they make it all the way through this podcast. Roy <laughs> Manning said – Man, oh man, July is that month with the emoji O as O. Oh, I see it. Yeah, uh, again, again, I think there, people... there's only a handful of guys that could be about it. I'm comfortable in talking about it. Prophet Brown, talking about uh, Kendall Just a Daniels. dynamite name, by the way. That's a that's a yeah. football name. And Prophet Brown, Kendall Daniels, and. Uh, and uh tommy hill that's it that's all the guys in the secondary it's so that's that's that but it this could be if things fall as they appear that they ha- they may it i'm not talking about Emeka Ibuka in the month of july i'm not talking about tristan lee in the month of july i'm not talking about even bryce foster in the month of july but what i mean i think oklahoma may have 75 to 80 percent of their class filled up by the time this month see that that's what I was just about to ask you, do you think OU can be a little bit more, I don't want to say pushy with these guys that are still uncommitted, but because they have their, their stalwarth, you know, already committed in Caleb Williams, do you think they can be like, all right, either say you're going to OU or no, because otherwise we're going like our numbers are dwindling at this point. We need to make decisions right now. Mm-hmm. I'll say this. I have a man crush on Tommy Hill as a football prospect. And you are well aware of that. Yeah. I think he – if that is a guy Oklahoma can get, and you're talking about what the position that Patrick Fields plays on defense for Oklahoma, you upgrade there with an athlete like that, holy cow. I mean, it fits perfectly. I mean, talking about a guy – when you're talking about a scheme fit, he fits absolutely perfect. So, uh, but, I, but to your question. Yes and no. I think you can with guys that aren't the three that I mentioned, that yeah. aren't the top player at that yeah. position. In the country. Unfortunately. Um, so I, I think that that conversation is uh, a little early. I think if we get football in the fall and they can kind of see what's happening on the field as well as continue to do the virtual visits. I wonder if they're going to put a limit on that, by the way. Like, can you only do one virtual visit in the fall now? 
Oh, God, yeah. They're going to make some stupid rule. And it's like, well, you guys have done nothing, but you've done no leading. But, yeah, let's make these stupid-ass rules. So Stupid. Uh, but to finish up here, uh, though, I, I do want to say that this is a point in time that the future, and I know I talked about it earlier, but the stability of this program has never been stronger. I don't think in my lifetime. During a global pandemic, but yeah, I get what you're saying. <laughs> like everything on paper, yes, is it's it's lining up for oh, he's going to win a national title in the next three to five years, two to five yeah. years. Yeah, and it's it's just what it's what's what's coming. It's what's going to end up happening. Um, trying to predict when that is is a mistake because. I've, I've said before to have it on this podcast and we can get into this next week. I love this conversation, but the way Oklahoma's roster is set up is actually not good. When you think about it, they're going to have an experienced offensive line with a young quarterback. And in the second year of that young quarterback's career at Oklahoma, they're going to have a brand new offensive line. Yes. That just does not mix well. I don't, Unless Spencer, unless Caleb Williams is the, unless Spencer and Caleb Williams are the top quarterbacks in their draft class, then that completely changes that conversation. But uh, no, I, I, I just, it, it's so intriguing because when I was working on that Caleb Williams feature, Brady, you would not believe the amount of questions that were asked back to me about Oklahoma football. They every, everybody I know Caleb is obviously connected um, to all the guys that I talked to, but there were so many questions about quarterbacks and how was it covering these guys and this and that. It's there is a aura nationally, and I guess with my youth, and I'm showing my youth here that I don't remember it being this strong. And maybe social media has a major influence on that and the rise of social media. But I just – I don't – like, even 20 – you even go back to, like, 2010. Like, 2008, obviously, Oklahoma played for a national championship. Everybody knew who Sam Bradford was, this and that. But, like, after that, I don't remember a time the brand has been strong. No, like, like since social media has been at the forefront of people's minds, OU football has been in the class just behind the Alabamas, the Clemsons – uh, the run of the mill, like Ohio State, the run of the mill school that happened to have a good season this year, that like a Cam Newton Auburn or an Oregon team. Um, overall, OU's just been a step behind a lot of that was just because Bob Stoops admittedly was just like, I don't really do social media. I have someone do it for me. It's not my thing. It not anymore. Of, not anymore, apparently. I mean, I don't know. It's probably still the same guy tweeting for him, but. Um, yeah, like this is this is the strongest it has the brand of Oklahoma football has been on social media. Now, like I think to a college football fan, like early two thousands, the brand was big. There just wasn't social media, if that makes sense. So um it's been an upward trajectory on all fronts. No matter what you're talking about when you're talking about OU football, since Lincoln Riley stepped on campus. So um the key is just keeping him and the key is him actually being everything that he's made out to be, a quarterback whisperer. Um, Spencer Rattler having su success, then by proxy, the OU football team having success. So um, things are looking up, Keegan. So I don't want to end the podcast with, we're not going to have football in the fall and people are dying from a virus, but things are looking up if we're talking about OU football. Absolutely. And 
And, and with that too, as well with this recruiting class, I mean, if they can stack this one, this 2021 class with what is setting up to be a monster class in 2022 as well, uh, you start stacking those things and um, this train gets rolling even faster than what it's, what it's been. And it's been, uh, it's, it's extremely fun to follow and cover. I can tell you that. And I'm looking forward to see um, what the month of July is going to bring to Oklahoma. Sexy. We'll end it there. And we'll probably come back next week, talk about maybe some new recruits, maybe some, uh, more off the wall stuff, maybe the thing that Keegan likes to talk about, just like how is this all going to work out if we have the sport in the fall? So, uh, Keegan, baseball, good stuff. maybe baseball. Are they? Amen. Okay, give me a quick baseball update. What do I have to look forward to right now? You can turn on MLB Network during the day right now, which I don't actually, have, and actually watch. You could stream it and watch guys play the game of baseball. It's great. Oh. It's awesome. Are I they sandlotting it they, up? Allegedly, there was a sandlot game. And I forgot. I believe Max Scherzer was in it. And it was like one of the greatest games that's not ver- that was not filmed like or produced or anything. <laughs> it's such a baseball story. <laughs> um, but, no, they're still playing on having a season that's going to start in late July and um, play 60 games. It's going to be a sprint. It's Baseball's never been played that way. No matter what level you're at, it's, a, it's always a marathon. It's never been a sprint like this. And – I think it's going to bring the best out of every player, honestly, um, in the game. And I'm, it's so exciting. I, I can't wait to see it. Uh, it doesn't bode well for my Cardinals, but at the end of the day, I will enjoy baseball if we get it, when we get it. Y'all still have Kyler Murray. We don't know how good Cliff Kingsbury is as a head coach, but we'll find that out. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Cardinals joke. Uh, Keegan, thanks, for man. Always good. Always good hearing from you. Always good talking. How's Red River? It's interesting times it's up here. Good. It's interesting. <laughs> I mean, this isn't vacation by any means um, for people that continue to jump to that conclusion. Um, I'm up here working. I'm working at two jobs still. Um, not, nec- not nearly as stressful as what I was doing before. But they have mandated, uh, and I will say this is, doesn't mean anything, but this is a very uh, liberal government here in the state of New Mexico, uh, very democratic, and the restrictions are very strict. Uh, 14-day quarantine they just updated last week for people coming in from um, different states. Mask requirement in public. Um, people have been cited up here in Red River for not having a mask on. So it's uh, it's uh, it, it, like I said, it's interesting. And honestly, I may be without a job come Tuesday without a second job. So it's, uh, it's one of those things. Sales are, everything's down up here and We'll, uh, we'll see if we could prevail, but as it stands today, I'm a little bit worried about this place because it's not commercialized. If There's a lot of local owners, so it's uh, not looking good. Well, shit. I want to end things you like were, Yeah, you said you were going to end it on a good note, then you asked me about Red River. But well, the good. sunsets are – hey, if you can't sun- tell, the sunsets are in – they are fucking incredible. That's my first F-bomb on this podcast. And you need to stop fucking cussing because then people like leave the one-star reviews. Please leave five-star reviews. Yeah, so uh, scenery's great. Living the life is great. Uh, and the sunsets and all that's great. Uh, the infrastructure up here is a little, uh, a little skeptical of it. So we'll see how, we, uh, see how it pans out here in the next couple of weeks. I'll be back in Oklahoma first week of August. Tune in next week for more Red River and baseball updates to the Inside OU podcast with Keegan Renault. 
and me, Brady Trantham. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to Inside OU. We appreciate it. And until next time, we'll talk to you later.